The Torah speaks about how when Vaspara came to the Yar, she saw a, a basket, and in the basket was a yelled. Vatiftach vatireyres a yelled. She opens up the basket and she sees the yelled. And behold, there was a Na'ar who was crying. And Rashi says, Kipshutai, that Na'ar Baich has a reference to Meshra Abeno. And even though he was just a little baby, he was only a few months old, but the Torah calls him a Na'ar, which is an older child, because yet Kaila Kinar, his voice was of an older child. He sounded much more mature than his age. However, if you look in the Balaturim, the Balaturim says, is not talking about Meshur Abenu, but rather Ze'arim. Aaron Akayin was the one who was crying as Basparai took Meshur, his kid brother, out of the Ar. He was afraid what would be, what she was going to do with him. Sheni Chasai, Eitzel, Hateva. He was situated near the Teva and he began to cry, Aaron. And the Balaturim gives us a gematria as he generally does. Nar Baicha Bigematria Ze Aaron Hakayin. When it says Nar Baicha, that's a reference to Aaron Hakayin. This is a Yalkut Shemaini and Rabbi Yehuda Chasid says the same thing, a Fiddish in the Pasuk. So when it says, it's not to be taken, Kipshutai, that it's talking about the tears of Meshur Rabbeinu as a young infant, but rather it's his brother, his three-year-old brother Aaron, that he was crying because he was afraid about what the fate of his brother, of his baby brother, would be. The Darshanim are Meisif onto this concept, onto this shot in the Pasuk, the end of the Pasuk, the Sefer of the Pasuk says, had she had pity on and she said, she had pity and she says, this is a Jewish baby. And the Mepharshim tie the Balaturim together with the end of the Pasuk and say that Basya Baspari knew that this child was Jewish. How did she know that it was Jewish? How did she know that Moshe Rabbeinu was Jewish and that Aaron was Jewish? Because when somebody cries for somebody else, when you see a Nar Baicha for somebody else, then you know that he must be a Jew. It's one of the basic Jewish concepts and basic Jewish tenets that we are especially compassionate for somebody else, for other people. That's not to say that Dayim don't have this. Sometimes they do. But the Jew is known to have this heart that's able to be a Dayim Lechesed that has compassion, that has sympathy, that has empathy for the plight of others. And so when she saw that Meshra Rabbeinu was in the Teva and his brother, his ostensible brother who was standing nearby, a three-year-old child was crying for somebody else, then she knew that it was Mihalda Ibrahim Zeh, must be a Jewish baby. This is something that we see later in the parish as well. 
that Moshe Rabbeinu was brought up in the house of Parai. He was living in the lap of luxury. He had no reason in the world to rock the boat. But yet the Pasuk says, Vayigdal Moshe, Vayetzel Echa, Vayadusib Leisa. Moshe Rabbeinu knew that he was a Yid. He went out of the palace and he saw how his brethren were suffering. They were working so hard. They were embittered. And he couldn't deal with the luxuries of the house of Parai when he knew how his brothers were suffering. This is a Yiddish Midah. It's normal, it's human, that if we are having a problem, we cry over our own sorrow. We care about ourselves. That's human. But to care about somebody else, to want to be mishtakif in somebody else's sorrow, that when you see somebody that's having a problem, when somebody is having a, an unfortunate period of time in his life, whatever it is, if it's uh, the loss of a loved one, if it's a sickness, if it's a business problem, if it's a, a social issue, we don't allow our friends to just languish in their own sorrow, but we roll up our sleeves, and as Rashi says in the Pasuk of Ayik Dalmesha, Rashi says that he saw Nasan Eina Belibai Liais Meitzalayim, that he put his eyes and his heart to feel for them and to be one with them in their sorrow. This is something that it's a basic Musr message that we've probably spoken about many times, but we have to hazard it because it's not so natural for us always to really remember to do this. It's easy to talk about, but when somebody else is in a tzarah, we have to do more than just pay lip service and say, oh yeah, I feel so bad for him because he's going through a tzarah. We have to try to figure out a way to alleviate the tzarah, to roll up our sleeves and to really be mates with them, to be able to help out the chaymer v'uvenim, even though it's, we don't have to. We could be living in the base parade. We could be living in a very luxurious home with heat in the winter and air conditioning in the summer, but it's not if somebody else is not enjoying the luxuries that I am. That's the way a Jewish heart should feel and should operate. There's a Gemara in Tainus on the Afafam Abayz. The Gemara says, Shalu Talmid of Rabzeirah. You know, lately you see a lot of times in, in newspaper articles, I don't know why, it seems that, you know, it gets more and more lately. But if you, you know, you look around in the papers, they're always talking about the world's oldest people. You know, this part, the world's oldest woman just died, and now the, new, the, the next oldest woman is this age. And, you know, in China and in America and New York, and there are people, you know, living deep into the hundreds. And they always ask, as, you know, as you'd be interested, how did you do it? What, you know, what was your secret? How did you get to be this old? I mean, you know, everybody wants to live a long life. And so they're always interviewing these people. And generally speaking, you know, they smoked and they drank and they did everything wrong. And Apal and they lived to that age. So there's a Gemara Lahavdil in Tainus, it's also Gemara in Megillah, that a lot of Amiram were interviewed about how they were Zaycha Tarikas Yamin. 
So one of the Amiram was Ubzera. He lived uh, to a, a ripe old age. Others say that it wasn't Ubzera, it was Ubadah Barabo. And they were asking him, How are you, Zaychet Arichas Yomim? And he said, I never got happiness from my friend's downfall. When my friend had a, was having a downfall, when he, was, he didn't do well on his test, or he botched up the LSATs, or whatever it was that he took, I was not happy. There are people that get happy when somebody else has a downfall. I think there's a, a German expression that's used in psychology called Schattenfreude, which be, means basically, you know, I'm happy. When you have a Schatten means like a, 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 a problem or a, a tragedy. Freude means I'm happy. When you're down, that means I'm up. And the psychology is possible because if you're not doing well, that, may, that makes me feel good because, uh, relatively speaking, I'm better than you. If, Khalila, you lose your job, even though I'm not so happy with my job, but at least I have a job, so that makes me happy. It's a terrible me, though. So this was what Rezera was saying, that the reason why I was a is because I was special. Because... When somebody else had a mishap, had a downfall, I wasn't rejoicing. So, the Rebbe Miborka, one of the great Hasidic masters, asks a basic question on this Gemara. He says, do you deserve a medal for not being happy when somebody else has a downfall? I mean, it might be a psychological reality. It might be, you might have a term for it, a fancy German term for it, but does that make somebody that doesn't have that, that's a tzitkus? If a person does not have, you know, ah, I'm not, I don't feel good when somebody else is bad, so that means, that's, sorry, if you would have that, you'd be an actor. If you do have that feeling inside of you that when somebody, you know, loses his money in a stock or, or somebody, you know, loses his job or, or a shidduch breaks off or falila, you know, somebody, something happens to a person that if I would feel happy about that for whatever reason, I'd be a disgusting human being. Oh, so I'm not a disgusting human being, so therefore you get arichas yamim. Doesn't make sense. So he says a great part. He says, that's not what it means. Does not mean that when my friend had a downfall, I wasn't happy. Of course I wasn't happy. I'm terribly upset when somebody else has a downfall. What it means is that sometimes in life, I'm supposed to be happy. Let's say, I am getting married. I'm getting married, let's say. So I'm supposed to be happy. It's my simcha, right? Zakir Bzeira, even when it was by my simcha, I, I wasn't able to fully rejoice because my friend was not married. Because my friend was not engaged. My friend was having a hard time in Shidokim, so I couldn't fully enjoy my marriage because as I was dancing with my friend, I said, I never, all these guys are not married. You know, why shouldn't they be happy like I? Laisasti, I wasn't happy even when I should have been happy. I was not able to be happy in the full measure of happiness because my friend was having a takala. Whenever I'm supposed to be happy, there always has to be, if you're a person on the Madrega Reb Zera, a tinge of guilt or a tinge of sorrow for other, or even more than a tinge, knowing that other people are suffering in the world 
how can I enjoy what I have when other people don't have them? There's a great part from the Ksav Seifer. The Ksav Seifer says that when Sari Menu gave birth, Chazal tell us, all Akaris in the world also gave birth. As soon as Sarah conceived, all the barren ladies in the world, hundreds of thousands of them, all suddenly magically conceived that same moment in time. And the Ksav Seifer says, why was this necessary? Why? I mean, Sarah Main was 90 years old. She finally dabbed and the Rebbeinah Shalom benched her with a, with, a, with a child. Every single person in the world has to also have it. What purpose was that made for? And the Ksav Seifer says such a beautiful shot, and it ties in so nicely with what we're saying, that HaKadosh Baruch didn't make the nace for them, for those 100,000 Akaris in the world that couldn't have a baby, and all of a sudden now they had a Bishos Yitzchak. HaKadosh Baruch made the nace because Sarei Menu finally was going to have a baby, and HaKadosh Baruch wanted her to be happy finally after all these 90 years, and rejoice in the Simcha of having a child. But knowing Sarah, Sarah Emenu is not going to be able to really be happy because how can I be happy when there are so many Akaras out there that are not experiencing this joy of holding a baby in their arms? And so therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, I want her simply to be so whole and so perfect that I'm going to make all of the Akaras in the world have a baby so that she can feel the pure simcha of having a child. When you're supposed to rejoice, if other people are not able to, then your rejoicing is lacking. That's the Yiddish heart. A Jewish heart has to be maitzer for other people. When people are having a hard time, I have to feel for them. Even when I'm supposed to be happy myself, I still have to share a little bit in the sorrow of other people that are going through unfortunate things. And, you know, there are a lot of beautiful Jewish organizations that are very sensitive to this. I remember for years, I don't know if it's still true, but, you know, there are, let's say, if you're making a chasna in America, so they'll, make, they'll match you up with, like, a chasna in Israel for poor people that can't afford to make the simcha. So the night of your chasna, you're able to you know, sort of lift the ship of, of somebody else. At the same time that you're happy, somebody else can be happy. When you're buying a pair of tefillin for your child's bar mitzvah, you should be able to buy a pair of tefillin for somebody else's bar mitzvah. Because if people are unfortunate, you have to lift other people up with you if you want to really fully enjoy the simcha that you're having. Because that's what a yid does. A yid cannot say, well, I'm happy, and everybody else I couldn't care less about. Your happiness cannot be complete unless everybody else is happy with you. And if it's not that way, then you have to try to correct that. So, so far we've been talking this morning about commiserating with others. When other people are not in a good place, when other people lost their job, when other people have not yet found the shidduch, when other people have some medical issues or have lost a loved one, we're supposed to commiserate. We're supposed to really not just say it, but feel it, that our heart should really feel bad for them. And that's a very high madrega to reach. That's a madrega that we've you know, shown Aaron Apayin had. 
Moshe Rabbeinu had, Reb had, Reb Adobarava had it. It's a high madrega to reach. For Reb Hutner used to say that as high as a madrega as that is, and we call that I am with you when you have a tzara, I'm going to be with you there. I'm with you. Akash Baruch says that about us. When you're having a tzara, I'm with you. And we're supposed to be with other people when they have their tzaras. Rafutner says, but there's a higher madrega to reach. And that's imai anaythi besimcha. Which means that it's one thing when you're down on life and I'm able to come and say, oh, you know, give you a hug and make you feel good about yourself and try to lift you up. That's human because at least you're down and I'm up. So I'm, I'm in a good position. I'm in a position of power. I'm able to commiserate with you. I'm able to make you feel good. I could say that I feel your pain and, and that works. And it's hard, but it's still, it's doable. A much higher madrega, and this might sound to be surprising to you, but if you think about it, I think you'll, you'll agree with me. A much higher madrega is that when somebody else is happy, when somebody else is enjoying life, when he is, his star is rising, when somebody gets a promotion, when somebody aces his test, when somebody gets into like the graduate school that you were dreaming about getting into, when somebody gets a great shit off and he's making a simcha, are you really happy for him at that point? Yeah, you might commiserate with, with a person when they're down, when things aren't good for them, because, you know, you talk and feel bad, you have a good heart. But are you able to take that heart and elevate it to be happy for somebody else when that other person is on, is on the mountain upward? He's doing better than you. He's enjoying a simcha that you're not enjoying yet. He just got a promotion. He just made, you know, a vice president and they gave him a corner office and you're still in a cubicle. Are you still happy for him then? Are you able to say, or not? That is really a higher mark to know how good of a heart we have. There's a pasuk in Chumash that tells us the names of the sons of Binyamin. And Binyamin, he had two sons. He had three sons, I think. But two out of the three sons was Mupin and Chupin. Very cute names. I, you know, if I had twin boys, I, I might consider naming them Mupin and Chupin. It's, like, it's nice names. I don't think anyone else did it ever. Besides for Binyamin, I'd like to name them that. So where do these names come from? What is Mupin Chupin? Where is that? So the Gemara in Saita says, the beautiful Gemara, the Gemara says like this, Binyamin was very upset that he had never gotten to meet his brother Yasef. In all these years, the other brothers knew Yasef. But Binyamin was born after Yasef was already sold and sent away. And so Binyamin never got to meet his brother Yasef. And it was his full brother, who was both Menahem and Ayin. And Binyamin was really upset about this, so much so, the Gemara says, that he named two sons because of this fact that it bothered him so much that he never saw his brother. But more than just um, the fact that he had never seen his brother, he had never had 
the ability to have his brother by his chasna. That's Mupim. Mupim was that Yosef wasn't by my chasna. I'm upset, I'm upset about that. Everybody wants everybody to be by their chasna, right? When you get married, you want your, your parents to be there, you want your grandparents to be there, you want your friends to be there, your family members. So Binyamin was upset by his chasna. All the other brothers were there, but Yosef was not there. So he named his son Mupim to memorialize this anguish that he had about the fact that his brother was not by his chasna. That's Mupim. Chupim is that Ani Lairaisi Bechupasai. I, says Binyamin, was not by the chasna of my brother. I missed my brother's chasna. I'm naming my son Chupim. I didn't see Chupim is from Elashna Chupa. I didn't see his Chupa. Fractal Chaim Shmulavis. As I understand naming a child Mupim, because everybody wants that people should be by my chasna. I want people to be my chasna. I want as big a crowd as I can have. You know, I have to fight for every name on the list. I want to get as many friends and as many family members. I want everybody by my simcha. That's understandable. So I understand the word Chupim because Mupim because Binyamin was upset about the fact that Yasef was not by his chasna. That's human. Says, but that he should name a child forever and ever chupim because he wasn't at Yaisef's chuppah. Who cares about being at Yaisef's chuppah? I mean, you know, sometimes we get so many invitations. Back in the olden days, like my parents used to tell me, like, it was a rarity to get an invitation. You know, if you got an invitation to a chasna, it was like, ooh, it was like a, you know, a gold ticket to like, you know, you have to start getting a dress and you got to start making it, you know, getting a suit made and a, buying, a, you know, special shoes. And it was like a big event because there weren't that many people getting married. Today, Baruch Hashem, there's so many Yidin that there's so many chasnas and, you know, and you're invited so often to chasnas that you're, oh my gosh, if I, you know, you're looking for any excuse to get out. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying for after the chuppah, you know, it takes too long between the chuppah until they come out. It's two hours of wasting of a time. My whole night's going to get wasted, so I'm just going to respond. I'm coming. People are, like, looking to get out of things. Now, when it comes to your chasna, you're expecting everybody to stay till the bitter end. But when it comes to going to other people's chasna, you're, like, looking for every excuse sometimes not to go. That's just the reality. And so, but you see Binyamin's Hashkafa, and that's the true Yiddish Hashkafa. It's not like our Hashkafa, that we're happy to get out of things. Binyamin's Hashkafa was, I want to be by my brother's chasna. And if I can't be by his chuppa, if I can't be misameach with him, forget about people being misameach with me by my chasna. That's, oh uh, yeah, that's my chasna. But for me to worry about being by somebody else's chuppa, to be misameach with somebody else when they're having a simcha, and to call your child by a name, Chupim, so that for all eternity, and it's in the Torah, for all eternity, everybody should understand the anguish of Binyamin, who was not able to rejoice in Yaisef's Chupah, that's an incredible heart. That means that he had this midah of ima anayich he was happy for somebody else, when they were making a fast, not just when I'm riding high, when you're riding high, I want to be by your chasana. There's a maisa with um, Rabbi Avram Gerdzinski. Rabbi Avram Gerdzinski was the mashkiach in Sabotka. If you ever saw a picture of him, 
He was a tremendous hadrosponomy. He looked very, very handsome. And there was one thing about him, though. He had a very pronounced limp. And he used to, you know, walk with a, you know, he, he would really limp very, very badly. And Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky's wife's sister was read to him. And she heard he was an amazing bacher when he was, you know, when he was single. And you know, everybody was saying amazing things about him. He was a tremendous hamachacham, tremendous balmuster. We have the safer in the base measure. It's called Teres Avram. And, but she didn't want to go out with him because of the limp. She just, it bothered her. She didn't want to walk with somebody the rest of her life with a limp. And, and so she basically said no. That day that she said no to the shidduch, she had to go down to the basement of her house and she tripped on one of the steps and she fell down the entire flight of steps and she broke her leg. And then she realized, it wasn't too hard to realize the midah connected midah, that because she said no to him for his limp, she had to start limping now a little bit. And so she said yes, and then they ended up getting married. So Avram Grzynski was a, a brother-in-law or Yaakov Kamenetsky is one of the great Bali Musser in Europe before the war. And in fact, when Rabbi Yaakov Kamenetsky was asked by somebody to write like a Musser piece in a certain Musser Torah journal that was coming out, he refused and he said that the Musser movement officially ended when the Nazis put a bullet into my brother-in-law. When the Nazis killed Ravram Grzynski, that marked the end of the Musser movement. There's no more Musser anymore. It's for me to start putting an article in a journal, it's nuts. It's over. That's how great a Balmusser Rabram Kredensi was. So Rabram was once, he was Mashkiach in Slabovka, but he had to be in Warsaw. I don't know why, maybe for some medical problem that he had. And he was staying by relatives. And it was 6 o'clock at night, and he was sitting in the living room together with his relatives. And all of a sudden, he looks at his watch, 6 o'clock, in the middle of you know, Warsaw in a, in a home somewhere. And he gets up and he starts dancing with his limp, with everything, he started dancing. And the relatives thought he had lost his mind. I mean, what are you dancing in the middle of the living room for? We're just in the middle of having a conversation. You're drinking a tea. Like, sit down. What, what are you doing? So they asked him, why, why are you dancing now? And he said that right now in Slabovka, a Talmud of mine is getting married. Talmud of mine is having his chasana right now says, and it really bothers me that I was not able to be by the chuppah, I'm not able to be there, I have to be here, I have to be in Warsaw for whatever reason. He says, so I want to be mishtatif in his simcha. Now, even though he's not here and he can't see me, he can't hear me, but I want to dance right now at the time of his chuppah so that I could somehow participate in mishtatif in his simcha. That's an Adam Gadol. And Adam Gadol is somebody that's so happy for somebody else that I'm not just doing it as a chesed. I mean, a lot of times we go to chasnas and you're, you, maybe you're even happy to be at the chasna. But you're happy to be at the chasna for whatever your personal reasons are. The food might be good, the bar might be open, um, you know, the band is rocking, you enjoy dancing, and you like even making him happy. You make him happy as a chesed. It's like a mitzvah that you get. But are you really, really happy for him? Or are you just going through the motions of what you're supposed to do as a friend when your friend is getting married? It's altogether different. Are you participating in his simcha? Are you feeling his simcha? Or are you just going through external acts 
of joy in front of him. Rabbi Avram Gerzinski was an Afkamina because it wasn't in front of him. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't getting any, you know, chesed points for dancing in front of a, a chassan, for ketzam rapim with ne'akala. Nothing. They weren't here. But he danced because he wanted to be part of the simcha. He felt that it was his Talmud, and I want to be raya b'chupase. I can't, but in spirit I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be there even physically as much as I can. And that's a madrega of iman simcha that it's very hard to come by because we have these petty jealousies inside of us that if our friend is doing well, we might be happy for him, but there's always that tinge of, why isn't it me? <coughs> I always say over this story, but and I probably should stop already because it's like a, doesn't really reflect too great on me, but I like the story anyway, and people always smile when I say it. So, um, when we were when I was a bachar in yeshiva, so we were invited to a to a friend's vart. Friend, one of our roommates got engaged, and um, and so we drove together to to the Kala's house, and it was like somewhere in upstate somewhere, and. Um, and so it was like four of us driving in the car, and we were having a good time. It was before GPS. You know, but we were having, a, you know, we were looking for the house, and then, you know, we thought, okay, I think we're on the right street. And then we were, you know, there were like the houses were getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we were getting, you know, more down the block. And we were like all diving. All of a sudden, like the, the car became very silent. Like nobody was talking anymore. Nobody was having a good time. You know, they thought she lived in like a little shack or something. You know, then everybody would be, would be okay with it. But like she's living in a mansion. And then finally, like the biggest house in the block. You know, we're like diving. Is that six? Please let it be seven. No, it's six. So you know, there's balloons coming out of the house, and there's lights all over the place. The swimming pool is all lit up. And. Um, so we're like walking in like but we're saying to ourselves, all right, you know what? Maybe our father is probably, probably one of these rich guys that like, you don't want to be married to his daughter. You know, like he's like going to make our friend's life miserable. And like, no, we come in. He's a Talmud Chacham. He's Geshmak. He's a young guy. He's like slapping us on the back. He's giving us L'chaims and like perfect schwer. So like we had one hope left and that was that the girl wasn't so Geshmak. And then, but of course she was, every, the whole nine yards, everything was, we like, we're driving back in the car, nobody was talking to each other. Everyone was just like, you know, like everyone was so upset because, you know, that's the way it is. If, if everything, if it would have been a Nebuch case and it would have, you know, but, you know, we wanted to get married and like this guy like got the trophy and like, you know, we were upset. And that's human nature. Human nature is that if somebody else is doing well, if we're doing well and somebody else is doing well, okay, it's good, because it's on our terms. But that somebody else should be doing so well when we are not. He got in a position that we would want to be in. Or he was elevated in whatever sphere, whatever, wherever you're holding in life, and it doesn't get better as you get deeper and deeper into life. There's just other things. You know, there's cars, and there's houses, and there's families, and there's children, and there's you know, uh, valedictorian chips for your kids and, you know, bar mitzvah, you know, how well your kid does in bar mitzvah and how well your kids do in shidduch. I mean, it never ends. But a person has to try at least to be kind of this midah, and it's difficult. It's impossible almost. 
but Yid is expected to do the impossible. And we're supposed to try to hone our heart to not only be mater with somebody when, they are, when they're down, that's also a very high madrego, to really feel bad for somebody and it affects my daily life if somebody else is suffering, that's, that's also impossible. But doubly impossible, but yet equally responsible for us to work on is that when somebody else is doing well, when somebody's shtiding in yeshiva, when somebody's doing well and learning and he asks a great question in shir, and you're not getting those questions, and you're like, to be happy for him, and to slap him on the back after shir and say, good job. That's hard. But that's what we're supposed to do if we really want to be good people. There's a Gemara in Sanhedrin and the Tzadi Beis and the Beis. And the Gemara says, very fascinating Gemara, It's an indictment against Meshra Abeno and the 600,000 Yidin that went out of Mitzrayim that they did not say Baruch Hashem until Yisrael came along and said Baruch Hashem. The first person in history to say Baruch Hashem was not uh, the Beis Yaakov girls that you go out with, but the first person to say Baruch Hashem in history was Yisrael of all people. Baruch Hashem Asher Hitzulashem Miyad Mitzrayim and Miyad First time that you said Baruch Hashem Yisrael. Kla Yisrael didn't say it. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't say it. Nobody else said it. The Marshal says that if you look in the Torah and say for Bereshus, Eliezer actually did say it and he explains you know, he, he explains how to be miyashiv the Gemara. But basically, the first person after Yitzhak Mitzrayim was not Moshe Rabbeinu, and it was not Shishim Rebai. It's a genai on them. It's a terrible accusation against them. It's almost criminal, the Gemara seems to imply, that Moshe Rabbeinu and Shishim Rebai, they didn't think to say Baruch Hashem. Yisrael, the Eged Avedizara, had to go and be the first to say Baruch Hashem. And the Sadegar Rebbe asks a very basic question on this Gemara. What do you mean Yisrael was the first person to say Baruch Hashem and it's a Gnaila Meshul Hashishim For You know, isn't it a fact that Meshul Beinu and Kla Yisrael sang Az Yashur together before Yisrael came on the picture and said Baruch Hashem? Meshul Kla Yisrael Az Yashur Meshul Meisel Hashir Azais. Is there a more beautiful way of saying Baruch Hashem than Az Yashir? It's the most gorgeous shira perhaps ever composed in human history. We say it every single day by davening. It's written in a special way, Arayach HaGavu Levena in the Torah. What do you want from Meish Rabbeinu Shishim Riva? They didn't say Baruch Hashem? Shira Az Yashir is not the ultimate way of saying thank God for what you did for me? Okay, maybe they didn't phrase it, Baruch Hashem. They phrased it in poetry, in song. What's wrong with that? It has to be so yeshivish, like you have to say, Baruch Hashem. And if you say, how's Yashua? It's not good. That's a G'nai. That's what the Sadigar Rebbe asks. And his terrors is unbelievable. He says, Yes. Meshra Beinu and Klai Yisrael said Baruch Hashem also. 
in a different way, different words, fine. The difference between Moshe Rabbeinu and Yisrael is Moshe Rabbeinu and Kalah Yisrael when they sang Az Yashir, they were singing Az Yashir, Moshe and the Yisrael was Yashir as Hashem for themselves. They're thanking God for what happened to them. They were saved. They were working in Egypt and HaKadosh Baruch was matzel them. Baruch Hashem, we got out, but we got out ourselves. <coughs> the Chiddush of Yisrael and that's why it was a genai and an indictment against Klai Yisrael was Yisrael wasn't saying Baruch Hashem about something that happened to him personally. Yisrael was saying Baruch Hashem, Asher Hitzel, Eschem. Thank God that you, I wasn't there, I wasn't in Mitzrayim, I was sitting in Midrash and I was fine. I'm saying Baruch Hashem, I'm thanking God for you being saved. I'm happy for you, Klai Yisrael, that you were able to be saved from Mitzrayim and from Parai. That's an altogether different madrega of Baruch Hashem. That's a Baruch Hashem. That's a genai for Moshe and Jishim Reba. Nobody else thought to do that ever. Nobody else thought to thank God for what happened to Yenem. For me, yeah. But for Yenem, no. And you have to thank the Rabbi Nishayim, not only for what happens to you, but for what happens to other people. I try to make it my business when I'm, when I'm able to focus. You know, that when I'm davening, let's say, you know, you daven by, you go to a chasana, and you, you know, you daven mincha or mayr, depending on the season when, when the chasana takes place. Sometimes you could daven both there. When you're saying, when you're davening, what are you having kavana for? By those, you know, shmane essays with, uh, you know, right after the chuppah, right in the chasana tish. So what I try to have kavana for is that when I'm saying maidim, when I'm saying Shmakeleno, I try to have the Chassan and Kawa in mind. Thank God that this Bachar or this friend or this relative is Zaycha to be under a Chuppah. You say Baruch Hashem not just for your own Simchas, but you thank the Rabbi Shalom that Yenim is able to be happy. That's the very big Madrig, it's not a big deal. Or when, you know, when they're under the Chuppah and everybody is, you know, schmoozing or whatever. So sometimes they have these tehillims, or even if they don't give them out, you say to them by yourself, and you dive into the Rabbi that the chasen and kahal, the chasen should be happy, and the simcha, the, the, the marriage should work well, they should be zeichet to kinderach, when you're by a bris, and the baby is crying, and the mail makes this announcement sometimes that, you know, when the baby is crying, it's a shas, you know, a kosher, everyone should have, have in mind, that, you know what I try to dive in for? Besides for what I need. Daven for the baby. Daven that the baby should be good. Be happy for the fact that he's to be nifnas in the Brishla of Ramavinu. Try to like refocus sometimes the ammunition, not just for your own bakashas. That's human to want to ask for what you need. But also try to add on to that for what you're happy about that they're having or what they need. That's what it is. Even if we don't always roll up our sleeves, but say it difficult to for somebody that has a tzara. Or be happy for somebody that has a simcha. And daven to HaKadosh say, Maidim for him. That's the Baruch Hashem that Yisrael was machadish. <laughs> just end with a story. You know, I, I'm, for better or for worse, I'm a reference on a lot of people's resumes for Shidduchim. So... What that means is that basically if, uh, you know, if I'm on a person's resume, let's say a Bachar in Yeshiva's resume, 
So then when the girl or the mother of the girl is checking out the boy, so, you know, if they do their due diligence, I'll be one of the calls that they make. Generally, the mother's call just when I'm about to sit down and eat supper. That's generally, you know, Baruch Hashem, that there's no, you can't use a phone on Shabbos, otherwise I'm sure it would be the entire Shabbos. I'd be getting calls. But always at the most inconvenient times, that's when they call. So, one time I was driving uh, home after my repair, so it was probably around 10.30, and I get a call from a mother, and she's dragging me a cup about a certain boy, and what do you think about this, and his parents, and his, his mother-in-law, everything, like, he was not, like, they're, not much, like she did not get off the phone. I didn't want to come into the house, you know, with a phone in my ear always, so I, I instead of, like, going home, I made hakafas around the, the four blocks that I lived. So, you know, she is making one hakafa and two hakafas and three hakafas, and like she didn't get off the phone. All of a sudden, there was like a stop sign at the corner of one of the blocks. I was on the phone, and I made like a, a New York stop, like a rolling stop. You know, you don't stop the car. That's too nerdy to stop the car and then go. So you just basically slow down a little bit, and you, then you take off. And all of a sudden, there was like a huge cop van, like it wasn't some car, it was, a, it was a van, and like I thought like a whole SWAT team was going to come out, so I threw the phone on the floor, and she was still yapping like on the phone, like, like you know, the cop could hear her like still in the van, like with the sirens going, they could start like stepping on the phone to try to, try to get the phone to stop, and then, you know, I pull over, and it's like this big schlub, I thought it was like an Irish cop, like a real, you know, a real, a guy that looked like a cop. And he said, um, license registration. You know you're finished. As soon as when, when they say that, that's it. So I said, officer, you know, what did I do? How many things did you see me do? <laughs> so, so he said, you just blew right through the stop sign. See, right through the stop sign, you blew right through it. He said, you didn't see it was a stop sign? I said, yep, I, I, I slowed. He said, you slowed down, but you didn't stop. I said, that's it? Yeah, that's it. All right, cool. I gave him the license registration, and it took like, you know, when they're sitting there behind you, and it's like, it seems like an eternity. It might be like a few minutes, but it seems like it's forever. And he comes back to the car, and he says, he says, Rabbi, he says, you know what Baruch Hashem means? I said, yeah. He says, well, that's what you should be saying right now. Saying, I'm saying it for you. That's what he said. He said, I'm saying it for you. He says, because you really deserve points on your license, $150 fine. He says, but I'm part of the tribe. So I'm going to let you go this time. So I thought to myself, this guy's a year. Like, all of a sudden I see, like, it says Zimmerman on his thing. It's like a real, you know, I couldn't believe it. He did not look Jewish. So it was a Thursday night that it happened. And... I said to him, I wanted to get him the Project Inspire video on Tishabub. So I said, where you, where you, uh, you want to come to my house Friday night for Shabbos? He says, Rabbi, don't push it. So I, I, let, so I let you off the ticket. He says, don't make me religious now. But I was thinking to myself after that, you know, here's a guy who probably never kept Shabbos in his life, never put on a pair of stone in his life, never said creation on his life. But he had such a Jewish heart that he was able to say Baruch Hashem for me. He felt Baruch Hashem that I'm getting off the hook. He felt that because he's a Yid, he's part of the tribe, 
So he was nothing. It would have been the easiest thing. I think there was another guy in the car. He probably had to take flack for it. But he felt that with his Jewish heart, he couldn't bear to give me a ticket, and he let me go. That's Baruch Hashem. That's Yisrael's Baruch Hashem. That's a musab that we have to develop. If Yisrael could have that, then we have to have it. Not just Baruch Hashem for what happens to me, but Baruch Hashem what happens to you. And when things are going well for you, I have to be happy for you. I have to commiserate with you. Baruch Hashem Hashem When somebody benches Gaimo, you're not just like curious, oh, what's he benching Gaimo for? You should be happy for him. When you're answering Amen to his Gaimo, and there's a Shiloh in place from whether or not you could be Yaitse with Shemei Kaina, somebody else's Gaimo. Can I be Maitse you in a Gaimo? And it says in Paisim, it depends how happy you are. If you feel like genuinely happy for Yenim that his life was saved or that he was Zeichet to some Yeshua, then you could. But if not, and how many people really are, then you can't. And that's why we learn from Yisra, and that's why it's a Gnai to Meisha and Shishim Riva, it's a Gnai in all of us that we don't have this Musrug of Baruch Hashem for somebody else. We dive in and 99% of our tefillahs are for ourselves and what we need and what our family needs. When it comes to being happy for other people or worrying about other people or even if you don't want to visit, you're not a guy that goes to the hospital and visits people. You know, and that's, you know, and sometimes it's hard. But just to open up a tefillah, when you hear Hatzala driving by, you don't have to join Hatzala. You don't have to join Hatzala. Not everybody's cut out to join Hatzala. I just, we were learning the other day about the grow that his father didn't even let him you know, learn about medicine because then you would have to be mabato from learning in order to save people's lives. Not everybody's for Hatzala. It's not for everybody. But you could contribute to Hatzala. Or when you hear an ambulance driving by, you could open up a tilim and say a, a small capital tilim for the chayla and for the Hatzala driver that puts his life into Sakana by, by going out in the icy weather and in all times of the day and night through traffic lights and through stop signs and everything in order to save somebody else. We have to learn, and I'm including myself maybe more than everybody else, we have to open up our hearts and have a Jewish heart to be able to feel for other people, not just to feel for ourselves always and think about ourselves, 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 but to worry about other people, to daven for others, to be happy for others when they're making a simcha. When you get an invitation in the mail, it's not something like, oh my gosh, but you should say, Baruch Hashem, that he's getting married. I can't wait to go to the chasna. Not just to eat good food. Some people only go to chasnas when, you know, when it's in Marina. You know, but when it's in some chasidish outfit in, in, in Borough Park or Williamsburg, you know what, I think I'll take a pass. That means that the simcha is just for you. It's a simcha's kreisay person that has Yisrael's mentality, Moshe's mentality, Aaron's mentality, Rather Rahab's mentality is somebody that's able, and Binyamin's mentality, Mupim Mechupim, runs to other people's chuppah as if it's their own chuppah. And they're able to rejoice as if it's their own simcha, because it should be our own simcha. Because we're brothers. And a Yiddish brother, when he sees his brother in sorrow and simcha, you have to cry because it's yourself. It's not Shubhisari, whether or not it's biological or whether it's in the same yeshiva, it's you. And it's me. And that's the way we join together. That's Achtos. That's what Klai Yisrael should be. And Mitzah Hashem, if we work on our hearts a little bit, we will be a better nation, we will be a better yeshiva, and Mitzah Hashem will be better Yidin and have a good Shabbos.